Welcome everyone to today's devotion. I know we're starting early, uh, but uh, it works best with with my schedule today. Um, We want to finish the book of Titus. It's only three chapters long. Um, And so, Lord willing, tomorrow we'll start 1 John and we'll go to 2 and 3 John. Uh, Those three are short as well. 1 John is about five chapters. My memory serves me right. 2 and 3 John are only one chapter each. So, um, you know, just about a week and a half we'll be able to get through uh, three more epistles. So, um, again, after after so far into Paul's writings, the, the New Testament is is quite short outside of Hebrews and uh, Revelation. Well, to to conclude uh, this short letter, Paul is again pounding the emphasis that um, the church in chapter one needs godly leadership, in chapter two needs godly membership. In chapter 3, he brings it all together that all of us must live consistent lives of faith. So he begins, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Uh, that is a good summary of of really just just basic Christian living. Um, first of all, submission is a Christian character. Uh, this is the opposite of the culture we live in, where submission to authority is a no-no. And so, what we've had over several decades is an unraveling of of authority figures. And so, you can see the polls. You take any sort of authority figure, and and we've been trained, we've been discipled, if you will, to question authority. Now, to a certain extent, there there is good in that that you should be able to question authority. At the same time, uh, we, we we're taking it to an extreme where we now view all authority as bad. Part of what we're doing in the streets regarding police officers is very much that we assume that a badge uh, means you are morally questionable. Or we do the same thing with pastoral authority. We've done the same thing with parental authority. We've done the same thing uh, with, with political authority. Uh, that we, we call into question um, everyone and everything that is in a position of leadership. As part of the reason I suspect that a lot of uh, uh, people who are coming of age uh, shy away from leadership shy away from uh, those sort of roads. For one, you you cannot be in leadership without having a thick skin. Um, Because regardless of of what role of leadership you have, whether great or small, you're going to come under fire. Uh, and, and and, And being that authority is bad, you don't want to be in authority. And being that it is so easy to criticize people in authority, a lot of people don't want uh, the, the added stress that comes with it. I do wonder if we were doing that at the political level, that there's a lot of qualified people who could lead in the public square, but refuse to because it, from the outside, it looks like it's not worth it. Is it really worth having your life and your family's life torn apart uh, in an effort for public service? But, but Paul says that it is the Christian duty to submit to rulers and authorities. This is consistent with, with what Paul said to Timothy in, in those pastoral letters, and it's consistent with what he wrote in Romans 13, what Jesus said in the Gospels, all of that, that yes, there may be times when we must resist, and we've talked about that in these devotions, but our standard um, operating procedure should be that of submission. 
even if we disagree with a policy or disagree with with positions, um, we pray for and uh, our leaders. We seek the good of, the, of our city, and we practice submission. Submission is a is a biblical character, um, and 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 it it is responsibility of all men and women uh, who who believe in Christ to submit. So you can look at some of the household codes in Ephesians and Colossians, for example, which you find is a submissive row, uniquely defined, but a submissive row for for husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children uh, across the board. So so to be a Christian is to look to Christ who submitted himself to the will of God, so too we submit ourselves to the will of God. So we are to be submissive, we're to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work. I like that language of being ready for every good work. Um, and, and to be available to serve in, in any way. Speak evil of no one. Uh, that should be um, something we practice as a country. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Um, having watched the debate last night, probably something we should practice as a country, right? Speak evil of no one. Uh, avoid quarreling. Again, having watched the debate last night, probably something we should practice as a country. Uh, to be gentle. Again, having watched the debate last night, uh, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Again, having well, you get the point. Uh, for we ourselves were once foolish. Again, having watched, I'm just starting to notice the theme here. Um, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. I, I want to highlight that real quick. Notice he mixes metaphors here. Um, uh, kind of, not not quite, but he kind of does. One, he speaks of slavery and appetites. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Uh, the Bible often does this, that it will describe our, our, our submission to our flesh and to worldly desires as slavery. And it is a type of slavery. And in fact, a lot of the moral revolution we've had, really, at least since the 60s, it really predates that. But, but in terms of the pop culture level, the 60s, what you have is the message of slavery. You were born this way. You can't help it. Um, um, everyone else is doing it. Um, you don't want to be approved, do you? Stuff like that. It feeds uh, a type of slavery, that, that there is no breaking free out of this. But now the irony of it is that though it is moral slavery, um, it, it hijacks the language of moral liberty. Um, um, and so uh, how many movies and shows and whatnot, the premise is this guy has to break out of his conservative upbringing, for example, and, and in order to embrace uh, this, this new way of thinking that's liberating, right? Well, well that's, that's, a, that's a false view of, of, of moral reality in that once you say, this is who I am, I can be no other, you have chosen slavery. But the Bible also uses the language of the appetites. We've talked about this throughout the devotions, that um, whether we're looking at the Garden of Eden, uh, which has to do with fruit, or we're looking at uh, Esau selling his birthright uh, for a bowl of soup uh, to Jacob, uh, look at the manna in the wilderness, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, the Bible takes our appetites, our uh, stomach, uh, and and turns it into a metaphor for um, uncontrolled lust. This is why fasting is so important, and it's a biblical discipline, um, and, and why we should practice fasting, um, because it illustrates that so much of our lives are driven by um, innate desires that we do not cultivate for spiritual good. Rather, we are driven by uh, cravings. We're driven by our appetites, driven by our desires toward evil. Uh, and Paul 
uh, uh, messes with this, that we become slaves to various passions and pleasures. But then he says, but, there's that but again, much like Ephesians 2, we talked about it then. Here, here's the bat. Like, this is who we were, but now we are something different. Why? Well, verse, verse 4 tells us, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, I believe verses 4 to 7 is perhaps the best um, summation of the gospel that has meat to it. We've seen in the pastoral epistles, Paul is really good at pithy gospel summarizations um, that, that may be a half a verse or a full verse. This, this has a little more meat to it, but it gives a, a, a more full presentation of the gospel. She'll say, look, remind the people of the church to act like Christians and remember who you were before, but because of the work of Christ, um, you are now not what you were, you were something new. And so so verse 4 through 6 lays out the gospel. And again, I want to emphasize that in these three pastoral epistles where the role of ministry is defined and articulated, as well as the local church, Paul again draws these young ministers back to the centrality of Christ and Him crucified. I think that is so important to pound when it comes to, 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 to the church. The local church is not a political movement. It, it is not about your soapboxes. It is not about uh, your tertiary doctrines. It is not a, 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 uh, 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 a club where people get together and hang out. It's not a social club. It is um, the place where Christ is worshipped, the gospel is proclaimed, people are saved, and the redeemed are discipled. And, and at the center of all of that is the gospel. I think it's worth pounding over and over again because the, the common trait of bad preaching is that it lacks the gospel. You've heard me say, I think I've done it through these devotions, that any minister that does a wedding or a funeral or, or a sermon and does not make much of Jesus Christ and him crucified should leave the ministry. And, and Paul continually returns to the gospel. You know, we saw that in 1 Corinthians when he's dealing with division. We see it here in the pastoral epistles when he does deals with the, the local church and how it should run and function. So the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, he says in verse 5, not by works we've done in righteousness, but according to mercy, the washing, regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. And through that, we are being justified by his grace. And when we are justified by his grace, we become heirs to an eternal promise. And, and, and that heir is the language of adoption. So we become adopted into the family of God. And the family of God look like this, which is laid out in verse 1, whereas the, the, the and 2, the, the not family of God looks like verse 3. Uh, it's just such an important passage there. Verse 8, the, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Look, every sermon, every uh, uh, leadership meeting, every business meeting, every worship service, every, every vision casting, everything must be about the gospel. Um, 
so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Look, look, the reality is, is that if you preach the gospel, uh, what will bear fruit in the church is gospel fruit. If you preach anything but the gospel, what will come out of that is everything but the gospel. It's as simple as that. In fact, he will re-emphasize this in his conclusion, verse 14. Let our people learn, that is, uh, the word for discipleship, a disciple is a learner. Let our people be discipled to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Notice we just said there, every member of the church should bear fruit. And that means not just in godliness, but in the role they play in the local church. Worship is more than just something on a calendar. It becomes who we really are. This is a fantastic ending to the pastoral epistles. Uh, something I hope you, you return back to. So starting next week, we'll start 1 John. And for first, second, and third John, we're going to talk about um, knowing God. And we know him through truth and love. Hope to see you there.